Good morning, church. Good morning. It's so good to be here. So our scripture reading this morning is 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5. This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those, as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate that reading. We are blessed by God to be alive in His world. Thank you for those who gave money to Ukraine today. We are blessed because we got a letter from Sun Valley about those who are suffering, and you're a wonderful congregation that helps many different needs all over the world. Uh, to, yesterday was the graduation at Panama of the class in which we participated in. And in that context, we're trying to think globally and act locally. If you would take a songbook and turn it number 947, Karen and I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving and a great time. We enjoyed having the kids in. It was busy, busy, busy. We think we have the house back in order. Nine for you. We enjoyed having the youth last night as well. We sang this a lot earlier uh, while I was here, and then we even uh, talked a couple weeks ago about having the mind of God, having the mind of Christ. And so although we're Christians, although we've surrendered to be obedient to Christ, we want to know Christ and learn more of him. As Paul describes in Philippians, I want to know Christ and the power of his rising. Sing with me, 947. Jesus, let us come to know you. Let us see you face to face. Touch us, hold us, use us, mold us, only let us live in you. Jesus, draws ever nearer, hold us in your loving arms wrap us in your gentle presence when the end comes bring us home to know christ is to know our savior we're looking today at first corinthians chapter 4 We've been looking at the book of 1 Corinthians. After today, we'll take a break for a few weeks to talk about Christ, because the world is thinking about him, but we'll pick up our lesson after that. Again, I encourage you to look at Psalm 23. But we're going to talk about Psalm 23 and 2023. To know our Lord, who is our shepherd, who literally, as we talked about in class, became a sheep and lived among us. I hope as we begin pretty soon a new year that you'll determine yourself to read the Bible. Be a daily Bible reader. Not 
as a legalistic thing, not to pride ourselves in someone else. And again, I always ask people, that, well, how, what does that mean? I'm not going to define it for you. Because you can read the Bible and you can check off a list, but that's not what I want. I want us to read the Bible, meditate upon it, think about what does it mean? What is he saying to me? And maybe you might read a couple verses and then think about what does God want me to do? Meditate on it. Think about it. Ask some questions. What does he say? What is happening in this book? And how does that apply to my life? And again, by knowing God and knowing Christ better, knowing his word will grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Again, I hope that as a parent also, as we get close to the new year, you're determined to be in Bible class. Bring your children to Bible class. Lead the way as a parent. We want to make it better for our children. Let's make it better for them spiritually. Lead the way. Bring them to class. I understand the struggle. A good friend of mine said, by the time I get all my children ready for church, I've lost my religion. But it takes will. It takes a determinate truth that this is important. And so determine beginning now, beginning in January 1, that you'll be here. Your kids will be in class. Be here on time with a Bible ready to study. From the news this week and actually again on today, Hawaii's volcano Manawa Loa, however you pronounce it, began erupting this week for the first time since 1984. You see, things do change. Things don't say the way that they always have been before. And change is a constant in our lives. Or in China, the government has decided to seal up the apartments, and that's their way of dealing with COVID now, and even set fire to some apartments. And people are in their apartments locked, can't go to the grocery store, starving, or the apartment's on fire, and they're burning to death. And people are going to the streets in protest, screaming and chanting, freedom. freedom. Things change. Who knows where this will lead? But again, this is a typical communist approach. The government deciding for the people what they want them to do. Our country was founded on very different principles. They came over on the Mayflower and they actually set up communism first. In the first year, it didn't work well. Many of them died. And from that, they pushed that aside and set up a different system of each person working for their own. See, the first system was they came over and everybody will eat what everybody else has. People starve to death. Some are not motivated to work. Four times in our founding document, the Declaration of Independence, describes God, our creator, that by his great providence, that these people understood that they were coming here to, by the grace and the mercy and the power of the creator of heaven and earth, and in that context, they were trying to start freedom, fleeing religious persecution. As the state, the government, not communism, but the government decided, you will be a member of this church. And depending on who the ruler was, you're going to be Catholic. Or you're going to be the Church of England. And we're going to enforce it with power of troops. They called Mary Bloody Mary for a reason. She was Catholic and she was going to make all of England bloody, America Catholic. And they're still fighting over there, some of this stuff. The government is not here to decide your relationship with God. Jesus came as the Prince of Peace, but he wants to reign in our hearts as the kingdom of God. Not start a, an army and rule the world from a throne here on the earth. I watched this week Jock Landale of the Phoenix Suns talk about his basketball career. He talked about when he was very young. And I, I didn't know him until I watched the interview and learned more about him. He talked about when he was very young, a coach told him, you'll never be good at basketball. 
So he quit for three years. Just quit. Later he got into high school and started picking up a ball and played and finally got back to playing and now plays for the Phoenix Suns. You see, here's a person who describes and impacts his life. And so he believed whatever they said. They were wrong, but he believed whatever they said. What a person says to him, especially a person in authority or someone we look up to, is very powerful. We must learn to think and sort out, is this true? Andy Andrews, who I love to read, describes when he was nine. He writes, call me an axe murderer, call me a girl lover, but don't call me a chicken. And he talks about how that name caused him to go do something that probably risked his life a great deal. What about you or me? Is there anything more dangerous than a diagnosis? Is there anything more dangerous than somebody calling us chicken? Or somebody telling you or telling me, you know, you'd never do anything right. Or maybe you tell yourself this. You'd never do anything right. You won't amount to anything. You might as well quit. You can't live the Christian life. Is that what we think? Is that what we believe? Well, there's more power and danger than we realize. This slide reminds us of the truth. Someone asked me directly this week about heaven and hell. So we don't deserve to go to heaven. We deserve to go to hell. And I'm a Christian not because I deserve it. Not because I'm good enough. Because I thirst and need redemption. Not because I'm perfect. I don't have all the answers. I'm trusting Jesus, obeying his words and his commands for my salvation. Sometimes we look at each other and we judge. And that's where we're at in today's topic, judging each other. And we're looking at the Corinthian church as that's exactly what they were doing. And we'll see later in the book that they'll go, you know, I'm a better Christian than you are because I can speak in tongues. You can only prophesy. And they would look down their nose at each other. And this is where the wonderful chapter of love is developed by Paul. That the greatest gift is faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. They had, we saw earlier, every spiritual gift. But what they needed was to love each other. And the love that comes from God. Thanks to Ryan last week. We talked about the harmony of Acts 2 and those relationships. Here in the Corinthian church, they had preacheritis. They lacked harmony in those relationships. There was selfishness, jealousy, pride. And we'll see they're pride about the wrong, proud about the wrong things. We'll get to chapter 5. They're proud about a man who's sleeping with his father's wife. Most scholars think it's got to be his stepmother. Couldn't be his mother only because they can't imagine that happening. And the church is proud of that. We see in chapter 4, as we begin in the discussion we had before... Paul says, you should look at us as servants of Christ. In the previous book, he describes in trying to end up his Jewish sermon on wisdom, that we're all, all things come from God. Whether it's Paul or Cephas, which is Peter, or Apollos, we're just servants of God. And how that they should look at Peter and Paul and Apollos and not have preacheritis, but just as servants. So what they're doing is looking down their nose at one of those apostles and lifting up their guy up as, you know, this is the guy. And Paul's got to take all of them and work them together and bring them to Christ, to follow Christ. And the reading that was read, and I appreciate the translation, he said, because they are, we are entrusted 
as servants of Christ with the secret things of God. With a mystery which now been revealed. The mystery in Greek means it's something that was hidden, but now is open. And so here's the mystery that came from God. And the mystery is Jesus Christ and him crucified. We see a key for them and for us as well in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is verse 7. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will take then you will not take pride in one man against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as you did not? Everything we have and everything that church had came from God. God made them different. God made them through the power of the Spirit, one to speak in tongues, one to prophesy according to his will. And the Spirit decided who got what. It wasn't, well, this guy's a good Christian, I'll give him this spiritual gift. And this guy's not that good a Christian, I'll give him another. No. It was God's plan for us and for them to be different. And so we shouldn't boast or look down our nose at anyone else or hear even the apostles. Paul is teaching about the wisdom of God, seen in the mind of God in his word. We have a trust and we are to be faithful. Did Paul convert everyone? No. Did Jesus convert anyone? No. But they were faithful. We talk about church growth. We need to remember this truth. We are to be faithful. It's great to see people come into the kingdom. If you look at Revelation, you see certain churches that were going way away from the Lord. Christ gives them instructions to repent, remember, and return. And see, so we see them judging each other. Look at verse 2 and verse 3 of chapter 4. This is the Corinthian church. It is required of those who have been given a trust that they must be faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Paul is saying here that our conscience is not good enough to be our guide, although his conscience were clear. He says Jesus Christ is our judge. If we want to judge each other, that job's already taken. He's not going to let us have that job. Here in this context, he says in verse 5, the solution. You know, we talk about pictures. I went on the Ukraine, and my son, we took pictures. He said, why do the pictures always look better than it was there? Because you're looking at one little snapshot of one little place, and we're looking at one little snapshot of the Corinthian church that day. Verse 5 is the answer. Chapter 4, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. What is that? When Jesus Christ comes with his holy, mighty, and powerful angels. That will be judgment day. Not now. Scriptures teach today is the day of salvation. Come to him while it's time and opportunity. Judgment day will happen. Don't judge anything until the appointed day. At that time, wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light whatever is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's heart. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. We don't want praise from men, we want it from God. So here, the judgment day will show whatever's in your heart, whatever's in my heart, all the secrets of men will be made known. There'll be no surprises to God. And in that context, God will praise certain people. Christ will will judge certain people. We judge too much by appearance. We must wait for the return of Jesus. Let's say this a different way. Like this slide up on the screen. 
if someone would come in here and they're a sinner, they might look at us and judge and think, oh, these people have it all together. They're not sinners. I am. That's not true. I love you. You're great people. We're just a bunch of sinners. But sometimes they misunderstand on the same point the other way. They come in, they see the humanity, they see the faults, they see the failings, and think, why, look at at this fault, look at this person. We're just here washed in the blood of Christ if we're a Christian. Our sins are being washed away, and Christ is changing our lives to the people that he wants us to be. And in that context, we can't see the blood cleansing the sins of people in front of us. But if they're in Christ, it's happening. Now, again, because we can't read hearts, there are people who are like Judas, hearing all the words of Christ, but not really following. And Christ will take care of them on Judgment Day. All the motives will be open and declared on that day. But sometimes we forget, or the world forgets, that we're just sinners washed in the blood. And we've got to present that, because otherwise it makes us look like we saved ourselves, or we're good enough, or we're so good. We judge too much by appearance, by surface, by clothing, by people on TV. One of the things about being TV is to look good, look attractive, dress well. The only description of the Bible about Paul is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3 and 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 10. It reads this way, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 3, I, Paul says, I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. 2 Corinthians 10 says about Paul, though his letters are weighty and forceful, in person he's unimpressive and speaks about nothing. My point is this. If Paul could speak to us today, would we be judgmental in what he says because of his appearance? Would we discount what he says by how he looks? We don't know what Paul looked like, but here's from an apocryphal book, which means nobody accepts it. And here's what they say Paul looked like. We saw Paul coming, a man of little stature, then thin-haired upon the head, crooked in the legs, good state of body, with eyebrows joining, and a nose somewhat hooked, full of grace. Sometimes he appeared like a man, and sometimes he appeared like he had the face of an angel. Take it with a grain of salt. That's what they thought Paul looked like in that apocryphal book. But the point is, the Corinthians were going, and we'll see it over and over again, look down their nose at the Apostle Paul. Many times the Corinthians thought they were better than the Apostle Paul, especially in the second book, and they started following what Paul calls super apostles, which are fake apostles, and have stopped following and listening to Paul. And he writes to correct that. We think he did. Use your imagination again. If you could hear Paul preach, would his appearance impact your thought? Would it cloud your judgment of his words? Now listen to chapter 4 of Paul describing all the apostles. Chapter 4, verses 9 to 13. For it seems to me that God has put the apostles on display at the end of a procession. Like men condemned to die in the arena, we have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak. But you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour. 
mistreated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. This is the man who wrote half the New Testament describing all the apostles and they're on their way to heaven. We judge too much by appearance. And Paul in this chapter said, don't do that. Don't even judge, he says. Judgment's left to Christ. We're entering a period where people think that Jesus was born on December 25th. We don't know when he was born. We don't know the exact date. We do know from Isaiah 53 that Jesus became a man. According to the plan of God, it's predicted 700 years before it happened. But his description is he was acquainted with suffering and familiar with grief. When he came, although he created the world, they didn't recognize him. Think of the irony of that. Think of the irony if we could be living in the first century and we would see Jesus. Unlike the movies. The movies has Jesus with a halo around him. Or you hear, and you look at Jesus, you hear the violins in the background. None of that. He looked like an ordinary Jewish boy and an ordinary Jewish man. Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, 7 8 said, If they knew who Jesus was, they never would have crucified him. They didn't know that he was the Son of God and now the Lord. So as we may be tempted to judge each point, judge each other, here's a few points. Paul writes in Romans 8, 33 and 34, and notice who it is. Notice the only one authorized to judge Christians. The only one authorized to condemn Christians. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies Who is he who condemns? Jesus Christ who died, more than that, was raised to life, is the right hand of God, and also interceding for us. There's one person who has the right to judge us and condemn us, and that's Christ. One. Nobody else. That job is filled. Sometimes we think that's our job. It's not. And he won't let us take that job. In that context, it says, the one who has the right to judge is right now interceding to God on our behalf as sinners. He's praying for us. We have a prayer list. It's a wonderful thing. The people pray for other people. But imagine the truth of Scripture. Jesus Christ prays for you and for me. Now that should bring some sort of response. But it starts with the truth that Christ is praying for, interceding, pleading to the Father in our behalf. The one who will judge us, the one who can condemn us, is on our side. You see, Paul here says, I don't judge anybody. I'm not worried about what some man says to me. He's only worried about what Christ says about him. And that's the point. To know a person is to know more than they sinned. And to know more than what they did is to know how long they resisted before they sinned. To know how they felt after they sinned. It's to know their heart. And only God can know their heart. That's why we can't judge. We can't see their heart. We might make snap judgments. Well, they're not trying. Well, no, they just probably don't have the struggle that you and I have. They're struggling with something different. For you, it's easy. For them, it's hard. There in that context, to know a person is to know more that they're saved or lost. It's to know if they're in the context and in the relationship with Christ where the blood is washing it away. And we can't see that with our eyes. Let's give each other a break. 
For the same Lord that died for you has died for me. And the same God that I pray to for forgiveness is the same God that you pray to for forgiveness. This is part of loving each other as Christ loves the church and died for it, to cleanse it and purify it and make it holy. It is true that if we could look, but we can't, but there are radio waves all around us. We can't see it with our eyes. You might could get a some kind of a mechanical device that you could see those waves. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the innkeeper had no idea that this was the Son of God being born. He had one purpose, and that's to run an inn. The Bible doesn't talk about an innkeeper, but it's only logical to talk about here's an inn, surely there's an innkeeper. If he had known that it was going to be Jesus, the Son of God, he could put him up in a room and put up a sign. Son of God born here. You know, what kind of marketing system could he have there, right? That's not what God was trying to do. He, somebody had compassion, if not him. Somebody had compassion on him, sent them to the barn. Jesus was born in a manger, a feeding trough. Probably not a new one, not a clean one. Where God wants to live is in our hearts. My heart was made for God. Your heart was made for God. Is there room for God in your heart. You look at the innkeeper and, and the manger and, you know, they had no room for him. But the real question comes down to, what about in my life? Is there room in my life for God? Now, I'm not saying we're callous or anything like that. There are people who are callous. But we can be so busy doing good things that we have no room for Jesus. And we have so much to do. Is God number one? When God shows up, as he often does in unexpected ways, and it won't be like in the Bible times when he walks up personally, but Jesus would often speak to people and they had no idea who he was. Only one person, one lady, the woman at the well, John, did he say, I am the Messiah. Usually he didn't say that directly. But he tells this woman, if you knew the gift of God that God has for you and who is speaking to you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Bethlehem, somebody had some compassion, found a place for this pregnant woman to have a baby in a manger. Paul's description of the cross and the message he bears in this chapter is very difficult. And their appearance is probably not what we would think. We need to look beyond the surface. We look beyond the surface with each other and in our world. God is at work all around us trying to save the world from sin, trying to bring people to him. Now, Satan's at work. We can see that all over the news. But God is at work. Don't forget that. People are thinking more about that this time of year. I know the Christmas music's already started. You, you listen to the better stations, right? And you feel in a better mood when you listen to that kind of stuff or you listen to Christian, Christian music. If we fill our minds with good things, we have better thoughts. But here in this situation, is our life so full that we have no room for God? God is at work, not just during Christmas time, but through the whole year. God writes in Isaiah chapter 49 about his people. His people were discouraged and depressed and say, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. God replies, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Have no compassion on the child she's born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. 
See, I've engraved you on the palm of my hands. If you're not as close to God as you once were, God is not the one that moved. God has you engraved on his hands. So, when you think about this, this time of year, the point of Jesus coming is a relationship with him. Not just to sing songs, not to just give gifts, but to save us from our sins. The plan of God was, before he created Adam and Eve, he knew he would have to save man from sin. And he made him anyway. And at the first sin in Genesis 3.15 is the first prophecy of Christ. And then the plan works until at just the right time, under the law, Jesus was born of a virgin. So again, do you have a relationship with Christ? Is there room enough in your life for God? Here's what God says. Isaiah 55, 1-3. Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you'll ha- you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. God wants a relationship with us, with us. And here he's writing to his people, not just the lost. These are his people. He goes on to say, verse same chapter 6 to 7, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. For our God, he will freely pardon. Are your sins washed in the blood? You see, I can see the surface, but I can't tell that. But you know, God knows. If you don't know and maybe you want to study with somebody, we would be glad to do that. If you know what you need to do and you haven't done it, what are you waiting for? There's no better offer. If you need to come in a public way,